Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation Podcasts. Today's episode is dedicated to the important topic of psychological safety and its role in creating a more inclusive and productive workplace. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Caroline Helbig and Minette Norman, co-authors of the Psychological Safety Playbook, which is due out pretty soon, 22nd of February, I think, but we'll speak about that later. So Caroline, Minette, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here, Susie. It's lovely to have you on the show. And your book, which intrigued me, which is why I reached out to you, the tagline of lead more powerfully by being more human, I think sums up why we're here, but also our quest around creating more human-centered organizations, but also more human-centered leadership. And I know that, uh, Carolyn, you've already worked in management and leadership consulting, and you hold a PhD in genetics. So you're constantly using these two different lenses of science and business to create something more human-centered. And Minette, you've spent decades working in the Silicon Valley tech industry, which I think we've decided, and you've clearly decided, needs a more human-centered lens, (laughs) but we'll come to that later on. And I just think, you know, two so very different profiles. Uh, meeting on a subject that's so important. I'm compelled to start there, really, because before the show we were chatting and you told me about your story, which has lots and lots of things to say about psychological safety, but also about human connection. So, Minette, can you tell us a little bit about your story with Carolyn and how you came to be writing a book together? Yeah, I'm happy to tell this this improbable story. So here I am sitting in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, and I signed up for an online class in running psychological safety assessments because I was very well versed in the topic, but Mm. I didn't know what to do with it in in the context of consulting with leaders and how might I help them, you know, develop more psychological safety Mm. in their teams. So I signed up for this class that was based on the work of Amy Edmondson. And in the class was Caroline Helbig sitting in Bonn, (laughs) Germany. And we were in a small cohort within the class together. And we we had some sessions where we were in a group of maybe five or six. And I liked her a lot. I liked her outlook. And, and it seemed mutual. And then one of our co-students, fellow students, had a podcast himself and invited me on. It was a leadership podcast. And I was talking a lot about how I really believe we need to do more work on making the workplace more human and more inclusive and psychologically yeah. safe. And I was talking about practical things that we could mm. do. And Caroline happened to tune into the podcast. And so I'm going to turn it over to her to finish this story. Yeah, I I love this story. It's so brilliant. Absolutely. And I really remember this moment when I listened to the podcast and Minette sharing her insights, um, her thoughts. And I realized, oh, wow, it was not only love at first sight, but really (laughs) really shared passion and the shared, um, shared approach. And Mm. even though um, we had um, so different paths towards what we are doing now, what we are doing now is um, has really it's completely shared and and completely aligned. And Mm. um, we think it's it's such a wonderful example of coming together, sharing the same motivation and bringing rich different backgrounds so Mm. that in the end, the product is even richer than one of us could have come up on their own. It is. And the best thing as well is that I was so not shocked. I was really surprised to find out that you haven't even met personally. And I think 
you know, that's a great example also of how you can create a psychologically safe space on a screen because during COVID, that was the big question. Can you reproduce and create psychologically safe spaces without actually meeting the person? And I think you two are both living examples, as is your book, (laughs) of what you can create if you're intentional about how you create that space. Yeah, Um, absolutely. We are living examples of psychological safety um, within our collaboration. And um, this collaboration also showed what is typical for psychological safety, that it's really something which grows over time. So Mm. um, one meeting at a time, and it needs time to grow and really um, develop. So we started out discovering, oh, uh, we are really aligned with um, what we want to achieve in consulting, in the business world. Mm -hmm. But then over time, it's really now a friendship, I would say, (laughs) a cross-continental friendship without ever having met in person. I know, and that's just amazing. And I think it's a great example of, how you can create these spaces so in inverted commas simply so that's what i really liked also about your book is it's a surprisingly simple and light-hearted approach to a very complex messy human problem let's put it that way yeah. you said it takes time it does take time but i know it was intentional and that's an important word for psychological safety but i know it was intentional that it be simple and light-hearted so can you tell us a little bit more about the structure of the book and and how it happened that it be full of illustrations and sort of simple plays. Minette, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I, I could probably have to go a little bit back to answer that question. Oh, feel free. Now, <laughs> because I want to go back to how we started working together, which informed the structure mm. and how we wrote the book. So when Caroline reached out to me after that podcast, I mean, part of it was the email that she sent me after she heard me on the podcast. And it was called Crazy Idea. And <laughs> so I get this email. This is June of 2021. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Colleen? Yeah, yeah. two years ago now. Yeah. And it says crazy idea. And she said, I heard you on this podcast. We're really aligned. What would you think if we, you know, I heard you say there's not enough practical material on psychological safety. What if we wrote something? And I think the word you used maybe was brochure or pamphlet. Mm-hmm. We were thinking of just something small. So we started working on a Zoom call and Caroline set up an online whiteboard for us on Miro. And it all started in a way very playfully. And so I think that even that first meeting, just talking, putting stickies on a virtual whiteboard, brainstorming, everything was very experimental. And it was this question of what if we tried? What if we tried to write something? What if we thought about how we might structure it? Mm. And so all of this online uh, brainstorming together led to this structure. And we we wanted it to be as short as possible. So Caroline's word of either brochure or pamphlet was really what started <clears throat> it is, let's not make this this big 300-page <clears throat> business book. Let's write something useful, right, that people could use accessibly today. And then how we we really brainstormed together what we think the biggest pillars, what are, what are <clears throat> the most important topics that inform increasing psychological safety. And, you know, I think we... We actually got to six at one point, and then we said, let's just, let's cap it at five. Hmm. You know, the sixth one will be for our next book. Like there's a, <laughs> there's another book in here somewhere. But what we really thought would be interesting and unique is, 
the idea that this is something playful as opposed to so heavy, right? Mm. Business books are often very heavy. The topic of psychological safety can seem very heavy, mm. very academic. And we thought, what if we approach it in a very different way? And like, we came up with this, this idea of a playbook and not just as like a buzzword, mm. but like, what if there are actually plays in here? And then we came up with the idea of moves within the plays. <laughs> So we yeah. like, we, and then we, again, brainstorming, brainstorming, we got to five plays with five associated moves each. So basically the structure is five plays and five moves. So there are 25 moves in the book and each of them stand alone. And that was so deliberate that we wanted to make sure you could jump into this book, pick one thing that you wanted to try. It was a fully self-contained explanation mm. and you could work on that. And then if you wanted to try something new that also would be self-contained. So that's how we approached it. And it was, it was very iterative. And even the writing process, we each said like, well, what if we try writing one of the moves each? <laughs> so Colleen picked like, what would be the easiest one for her to mm. write? And I picked what would be the easiest. And yeah, Colleen, you might want to describe how that all evolved. Yeah, and probably it was a great idea not to start with a plan, let's write a book. Yes, <laughs> write another leadership book. What we wanted to develop is really something to fill the gap. So mm. there are so many books out there and a lot of great books about psychological safety. The main one, Amy Edmonds and Fearless mm. Organization, fantastic. However, for leaders who really embrace psychological safety, there was not so much guidance about the how. Mm. So they understand now, why should I do it? Why mm. is it so important? But how can I actually do it? And that was exactly the gap we wanted to fill. And we wanted to fill it with kind of material to provide to our clients. Huh? Mm. Um, Ned and myself, we have leadership consultancies. Um, we are really consulting clients and we feel the practical need and um, the need for practical material. That was the aim of what's now um, became our, our book and started as a mm. brochure. Yeah, exactly. And we, we always um, ask ourselves how, because we know our audience, no one mm. has time to read a book from <laughs> A to Z. <laughs> so it needed to be really concise. It needed to be to skip everything what is not essential. Mm. And that was the way we um, wrote the book. And it's because, Minette, you and I, we always had this person in mind, our reader, our future reader. I love this phrase, kill your darlings. So <laughs> Minette spoke of, of the sixth um, play, which um, we skipped at some point. We always ask, okay, how can we make it even more condensed, even mm -hmm. more essential? That's now the five plays. And I, they are also centered around those situations which we encounter during our leadership practice every day. So mm. how do we speak? How do we listen? Mm. How do we run meetings? So very practical and um, everything else is good. And it's great because we're talking about practice and you're very clear about that it is a practice. So you said, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, Carolyn, it takes time. Yes, it does take time, but it is a deliberately developmental practice. And I love the fact that uh, your book is for me, like a Lego factory. So you can go and get which brick you need. And at first I, I thought, okay, so if I just take communicate courageously, for example, or manage your reactions, if I just take one play, does that make me less effective? And I was thrilled <laughs> to find that they were self-contained. And there is also recommendations and readings, but also anecdotes of 
things you've lived, both of you, and situations you've seen, which have contributed to how and why you wrote these certain moves and and this play. And I think it's very powerful because it gives permission for me. As I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, so now I have permission if they're self-contained to just do one. (laughs) If I only have time to do one, I I can just do one and, and look at what's next. But I do feel that for me as a reader, and I know everybody reads things differently, there were certain red threads running through the book, you know, emotions of vulnerability, courage, curiosity. I'm always tempted to say humble curiosity because that's that's what it's about in your plays and continuous learning. And I don't know if that's how you intentionally designed it, but they're the red threads that I see running through, which means as a leader, I'm like, okay, so they are running through as practices, but beneath that, I have things that I can actually practice in a 30-minute meeting or in a one-minute meeting or et cetera, et cetera. So did you design it like that for it all to come together as inclusive practices at the end? Or was it really about, let's see what everybody needs and they can take what they need? Carolyn, how did you envisage that as you were structuring it and imagining it? Because I'm sure you both imagined it differently and then you came to a co-created result. Yeah, yeah, I love um, I love your question. Maybe just to expand on your permission to pick one, mm. it's also permission to experiment. Yes, and this is closely linked to what you just mentioned: curiosity, learning. Mm. What did you say? Humble curiosity. Yes, right? yes, and that's probably one of the reasons why Minette and I are so wonderfully aligned that these are our deep core values, ourselves, mm. being committed to curiosity, to openness, and maybe also one other um, core value, which is kind of a red thread running through the book, is empathy. Mm. Empathy um, and really prioritizing connection. And mm. I think um, that's one of the reasons why Minette and I, um, are so why our, our collaboration is full of harmony, <laughs> that, that we are really committed to those values. And it's not by chance that they um, really? appear in the book. Mm. However, it's not kind of the explicit topic. But of course, it's the values the whole book is grounded in. Mm. Mm. And, and empathy makes me think of, I often get the question, how do you scale empathy? Which is why I like the red threads idea. But coming back to empathy, which is one of your shared values, Minette, I I see these plays as scaling empathy or empathy at scale, whichever way around you want to put it. Was that intentional or was it just it was such a shared value and so present that 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 just came into every play? I wouldn't say we intentionally said empathy must be throughout, but Mm. it was certainly in the back of our minds at Mm. all times, because really what all of it is about is human connection. Yeah. And I think maybe that is sort of the macro level of what the red thread is. And then there are several other threads and that leaders must connect with the people they work with. And unfortunately, and certainly, you know, I'm observing all the news in tech these days. And I spent mm. 30 years, as you know, in the tech industry, mm. that gets forgotten all too much. It's instead yeah. about what's the technology, what's the business model. And we forget that we are dealing with human beings. Absolutely. And Colleen and I were always this is about one interaction at a time and you know we really believe that to build cultures to Mm. to scale empathy 
it's all about one interaction at a time, one conversation at a time, one Mm. reaction at a time. And so to get that sort of self-awareness of what a leader's responsibility is, that's what we were trying to bring through this whole book. And Mm. that each one of these 25 moves can improve and Mm. increase the, you know, the empathy, the psychological safety, the connection with the people around you. So that was always top of mind. So I think the threads that you have picked up on, Mm. they were definitely there for us. And we talked about them all the time. And, and, you know, I think one of the places we actually say there's deliberate repetition in this book. (laughs) And that was by design, because Mm. yes, curiosity, like I probably we could say how many times the word curiosity here, (laughs) you know, it's a lot because you need to show up with curiosity in so many different situations. And so Mm. all of that was deliberate, I would say none of it was accidental. But when you think about sort of like the higher level, that was just top of mind for both of us at all times. And, you know, I think one thing that you mentioned at the beginning is that we practiced what we preached in the book. And so when we would have our, our meetings and our sessions, there were definitely times where we disagreed or where I felt an initial sort of triggered reaction of like, no, I don't want to do that. But then what I would do and Caroline would do, and I think this was what was so cool about our interaction is we were like, take that step back, take that moment to breathe, take that Mm. reflection. Mm. What am I reacting to here? You know, maybe this is some history I have with this topic. And maybe I could get a little curious about why we might explore doing this. And Mm. we played as we met, we played around with different ideas and we didn't use them all. And some of them were bad ideas, but it was all part of the experiment. And I think that really informed the book because we were sort of living out what we were talking about. Yeah. And I love the fact that basically the top level red thread is human connection and you've never actually met physically. To come back to my first, because that was, I mean, the story when when you first told me, I was like, wow. And then I thought, why am I so surprised? And I wasn't surprised. I was heartened by that. It gave me hope by the fact that you've created such a brilliant and human centered piece of work that will have a lot of impact on humans, but you've never met. So, so I think um, it's great for the hybrid world we're moving into. Some people with anticipation, some people with apprehension, I think we're all a little bit between the two, depending on what the hybrid model looks like. But I think it's great that the human-centered playbook has come from something from two people who have never actually met physically, although your minds have clearly met quite quite a lot, which is and the result is that is the playbook. And I think in interconnected worlds, and the more we get into an interconnected digital environment, the more we need what keeps us human. So imagination, emotions, creativity. And for me, psychological safety has always been like one of the foundational blocks of building an inclusive environment. So what do you think about that, Carolyn? What does what does psychological safety bring to inclusion or or vice versa for you? Yeah, I, I am still thinking about your fabulous word hope. hope. <laughs> yeah, this is so important. Mm. And um, at the beginning, you highlighted the subtitle of our book, and this is really our kind of our manifesto: <laughs> lead more powerfully by being more human. And the whole workplace needs to become more human again. Mm. So Minette talked about how we all tend to forget that we are human beings. Strangely enough, and and this is really something um, we are convinced of, that we need a new leadership paradigm Mm. where we don't forget that we are human beings. None of us. Mm. Um, 
the leader is a human being, every team member is a human being, the clients are, are human beings, and so on. And really to make, um, to, to bring this again <laughs> in our consciousness is mm. really something very important to us. And I think this new paradigm should give us hope especially in these troubling times, especially mm. with all the challenges we are facing. And I'm really grateful about that we are living examples of giving hope in, in, in these times. So, mm. And it's scary how easy it is to forget that we're human beings. And I know that sounds dramatic, but, but if I just take those words, you know, and particularly in a, in a virtual environment, you can get quite transactional quite quickly, can't you? Unless you're intentionally inclusive you can be unintentionally exclusive and just take it down to task lists or just not have time to hear what people have to say or you know not not read because reading the room I always feel that facilitating virtually is almost a different skill set but you have to be even more intentional about psychological safety I don't know if that's your experience but that's where the playbook really comes into itself for me into its own is these small simple understandable plays that you can actually experiment with without yeah. saying to everyone, I'm just doing an experiment, but you can just right. try them on like a T-shirt and see what works for you and what doesn't. Do I like it? Do I not like it? <laughs> I want to come back to the question of inclusion because I, you know, the focus of my consulting is really on mm. inclusive leadership. Mm. And for me, psychological safety is in many ways the prerequisite or the foundation yeah. for yeah. an inclusive environment. And so when we think about it, you know, this this is certainly true in the U.S., although it's it's true globally in different ways. That there's been so much focus on diversity. You know, that's yes. that's obviously become a lot of the buzzword, mm. and mm. we focus a lot on diversity hiring. Like, let us make mm. our workplaces more diverse. But really, the key step almost needs to be inverted in that we need to create an inclusive culture mm. where, if we hire a more diverse workforce, everyone is going to feel that they have a place here that they're valued and respected and that their unique perspective is going to be embraced and celebrated. And so without feeling safe, and I've I've actually lived and breathed this, you know, Mm -hmm. being a woman in tech. So, and and I'm I'm a woman of privilege. I am a white woman, Mm -hmm. so I don't have to deal with the aggressions that come across women of color. But here Mm -hmm. I was a woman, often the only woman in the room, right? And I would often feel that I, it wasn't okay for me to just say whatever came to mind because I was going to be shut down or it might be embarrassing. So I had to very carefully weigh my words. I would hold back. I would often agree with the room even when I didn't agree with the room because it mm. didn't feel safe to disagree. And this is just my experience. People are having this experience on a higher and more mm. extreme scale every single day. So it is really incumbent upon every single person who works with teams, you know, whether Mm. you are a formal man. And we talk about like for us, leadership doesn't come with a title. No, You could be a project lead. You could be a scrum master in an agile team. You are influencing how people experience team environments or you could be a CEO, you know, and anything in between. And so every single individual plays a role in creating Mm. this safe and inclusive environment where people can disagree or can say like, uh, you know, one of the one of the aspects of diversity we forget about sometimes is different cultures. Right. So here we are dealing with three of us in three different countries (laughs) and that, you know, different cultures are going to have different perspectives on how we communicate. And Mm. we just have to be really curious 
Mm. to learn what works for different people. Mm. And, you know, if someone doesn't want to speak up on a Zoom call, how can we invite their their voice through chat, through Mm. an online whiteboard, through something asynchronous, but make sure their voice is heard Mm. and invited? So there's so much to be done, but I really feel that this psychological safety is foundational to inclusion. Otherwise, you can't have discussions on diverse perspectives, can you? Exactly. Because I think I often get psychological safety. You mean you want me to be nice. Right. And my answer to that is I don't want you to be unkind. But psychological safety isn't about the threat of challenge or the absence of threat. It's about the presence of connection, as we established right at the beginning. And I know in the reading recommendations, you've got some Daniel Kahneman stuff around system one and system two and things that I use to navigate discussions and experiential learning around bias and you know cultural bias cognitive bias all types of bias and I'm just hearing that we need to step back I mean it's very clear in all the plays you know there's there's a slowing down of the pace of how we think and so that we can have a look at what we think as opposed to just going from fight or flight and just reacting so responding as opposed to reacting if you like and I think that that is really helpful for any leader, leader of families, communities, (laughs) projects, organizations, CEOs, society in general. Because I think diversity is about difference, but you don't necessarily have inclusion because you have a diverse group. And that really came out for me in the way you explained those plays and also how they can play out, if you like, because, you know, understanding them is one thing, and then trying them and them maybe not playing out will bring up other questions. So, you know, how, in your experience to date, if you try a play and it, it doesn't work as you thought it might, how do you remain curious about that, Carolyn? How do you, what's your experience about that? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, as a scientist, um, <laughs> I know this all the time, that there are experiments that doesn't work out, right? Mm. So, it's not something speaking against the experiment. This time, it's information, valuable information. This didn't work. Ah, interesting. That's also valuable information, data mm. points. Mm. And then it's not the reaction shouldn't be, okay, uh, I stop experimenting. No, the reaction should be, okay, what's my next best experiment? Mm. What can I now learn about? Mm. And that way, you are experimenting forward and you are learning more and more and not ignoring what you learn out of failure is a really crucial step. Mm. And Mm. um, maybe just to to, um, link that back to this really um, vital question of of, um, diversity inclusion, Mm. now the team leaders, we make so much effort to hire diverse teams, right? Hire diverse Mm. talent. Now these diverse um, talent sit in the companies and their potential is not really used. It's at least not fully used. And leaders are responsible to unlock this potential, which Mm. is there. And Mm. our playbook is really giving them tools how to do it. And it doesn't mean that you need a lot of extra time. It doesn't mean that you need to sit down one-on-one for Mm. hours. Mm. more about doing what you do but in a different way with a different attitude and Mm. we give very small and simple actionable things you can try and see what works for you in your Mm. setting Mm. and you touched upon Kahneman and system one and system Mm. two 
And this is one of the most impactful ways of improving our thinking and acting to think about our thinking. Mm. So become more aware of the limitations of our brain, for example, or become more aware of our tendency for biases because mm. what we know, we get to be able to manage. Yes. What we don't know, we are just acting blindly. We are just following our automatic reactions. Mm. Yeah, so inclusion starts in system two, if we take his system <laughs> one and system right. two. Yeah. Because I think, well, that's unconscious bias, isn't it? That's the work on it. Once it's conscious, then the work starts. So once, once you've got enough distance to understand what your bias is, because everyone has bias, then we can do something with it. Which brings me to the subject of measurement. Now, I get asked this a lot, and I'm sure both of you do. How do you measure psychological safety? And should we be measuring it at all? Minette, do you want to give us your opinion on I'll that? I'll start and then I'll turn yeah. it over to my fabulous co-author for her <laughs> input. So it's funny because, you know, we met in this class that was all about running measurements, basically. Yes. It was running these fearless organization scan is the name of it. And it's based on seven questions that Amy Edmondson developed in her mm. work, The Fearless Organization. So we were both curious about learning how can we measure psychological safety and we signed up for this class and we are now both certified in running the assessments and here's what I think about it now having gotten that education and run several of them with mm. actual organizations is that some organizations need data before they'll do anything Mm -hmm. And if it's useful, if it's useful to them to run one of these surveys to say, oh, we are here at this point in time, we are at this level of psychological safety. Now we know how to take action. Mm. That can be helpful. I'm actually less of a believer in the metrics, honestly, because I feel like, you know, if it's useful for you as a starting point, that's fine. But really, it doesn't matter where you are. It's what mm -hmm. you do to continue to increase and build and nurture psychological safety every single day with mm -hmm. or without a measurement. Yes. So for me, I feel like it's entirely optional. But if people feel like I need to know, I need a pulse, you know, like a pulse check mm -hmm. of where we are, fine, let me run mm. this survey for you. And then, but then I would say, do not stop with that. Just like mm. any survey, you know, they do all these employee surveys. And often I've seen in organizations, even I've been a part of, it stops with the data. Like, okay, here we are. We'll run another one next year or next quarter. What to me is important is the action you take based on the data. So mm. if we say there's you know, this, the, the survey that we run has these seven, this like four main facets. Mm. So if there's an issue on inclusion, for example, mm. that shows up in the data, maybe we really want to focus our efforts here on what can we do to increase inclusion and let's, you know, crowdsource some information mm. on this and let's work on that. So mm. for me, the data can inform where we focus our efforts, but it must not stop at the data. It really has to be action oriented. And so for me, like, I don't want to go into a client engagement, for example, saying we're just going to run a scan and we're going to have a debrief conversation yeah. and then I'm going to go away. Yeah. Because yeah. to me, that's wasted time and money for mm -hmm. all of us. I think Absolutely. the real work is now what do we do? And mm. that's where our playbook comes in. And that's Absolutely. where Karin and I really want to do work with organizations. Do you mean it? Do you want to go yeah. deep? Let's play with some of these things. So so that's how I think about it. And I'm curious to hear Karin. Yeah. 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 Tell us, what, that's, what's your opinion? Reflecting how I think about it, <laughs> even though I'm a scientist, so I'm naturally <laughs> prone and biased towards measuring. And also my many years with McKinsey, Mm. really that's professional 
biased towards <laughs> measuring, but I also had have this experience that measurements sadly often are just an excuse and mm. all there is and, and nothing more. So I just recently um, had a longer discussion with a um, big client here. They have great measurements <laughs> and turned out that some leaders are really for longer longer time read in trust, mm. read in, in really key parameters of collaboration, mm. trust, mm. I don't know, how, the, the other parameters. And then I asked, okay, what do you do? For me, that would be the starting point. Yeah. Like you do in science, you measure something and then the interesting things begin. Mm. However, they stopped <laughs> there. For years, for years, some leaders were known to be leaders to avoid because they are not paying attention to crucial parameters, even though they get this very mm. clear feedback. So if you use data and parameters and measurements for an excuse not to do anything, that's really a bad idea. Yeah. And instead, I also would advise to really go ahead and experiment For example, based on our playbook, where mm. you really, um, we offer a range of 25 really specific things you can do. Pick one experiment and see what happens. And if you are committed to measure anything, then what we saw working is asking your teams in a maybe anonymous way. You don't need to um, stick to this um, seven question scan. Mm. But for example, having feedback after meetings. If you really want to commit to run your meetings in a more inclusive way, it's a good idea to ask people if they did feel included. Mm. If they did feel I could speak up, I could speak up with disagreements and so on. So, um, Minette, you um, mentioned those meetings in, in the tech industry where you mm. felt I couldn't disagree with the room, right? Had you yes. had such a feedback afterwards, things could have surfaced and, and things could have been addressed. But that way, nobody knew about that, maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the scary questions, though, isn't it? Because often they're followed by a courageous conversation. <laughs> Did you feel included? Yeah, which, which people mostly want to <laughs> yeah, avoid, right? Yeah. And that's why we have communicate courageously as our first play. Yeah. Like you have to go there to those uncomfortable subjects and really just work through the discomfort. Yeah. And maybe that's a measure as a leader of how willing I am to either experiment or to intentionally step into an uncomfortable place to further. Uh, the conditions I create for my team and for my organization. Maybe that's yeah. a measurement. Yeah, and, and the more you strengthen the connection, yeah. the easier it gets to discuss those uncomfortable topics. Mm. I'm a little bit intrigued because you mentioned a book too. <laughs> so you've a already got too, a sixth yes. play that maybe is going to go into book two. Tell me a little bit about book two. Actually, we are still working on our crazy idea Miro board and we ah. have a simmering pot there. So a frame called simmering pot and we have a bunch of rich ideas in there. One and probably that was um, planned as play six because it's a, such a crucial situation at work <coughs> is feedback. Yes. So how do you handle feedback situations? However, mm. now um, having made progress, we also have many more ideas. And, I can um, imagine. 
and um, for sure we um, we envision for book two um, something as concise as playful as approachable as we've created with um book one and further topics could also be things like um what we see many people are concerned about how do i what can I do when I find myself in an organization that doesn't value psychological safety and that's maybe even toxic? Mm. So what can I do then? Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm excited now for book yeah, two. Book one is only out next week, but I'm still excited for book two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely, it is one of the things that we know for sure. And, you know, everything to us is still open, but we know for sure that there will be more work that we're going to do together, that we're not done with this. One book mm. was not our only thing. And that, yeah, there are lots of ideas. And, you know, that last one that Kahaline just mentioned, this comes up a lot in, yeah. even in workshops that we yeah. do, mm. this question of like, I'm at a director level or I'm in the mid-level of management mm. and I truly believe in psychological safety. I'm doing everything I can in my team. However, our senior leaders don't value it. That's what Caroline was just alluding to. We don't have the answer to this one. This is a really tricky one. And of course, we encourage people to keep doing the work where they can, but it's something we we actually want to learn more about and, you know, do our own mm research on it um you know not necessarily academic research but yes you know, gathering data where we can on what actually works when you're in that kind of a toxic or or not safe environment how much can you influence so i think there's there's a lot for us to explore and learn yeah and is. we're continuous learners of course we're mm. voraciously reading and learning and talking and you know working with teams and i think the more work we do on this with teams the more that will inform our next mm. book as well it's exciting research though, isn't it? It's exciting to see how people react and, and what everyone can learn from it and then how you can simplify it down into something that people can actually use as like a, a play, to take your words. Exactly. Okay. Okay. okay, well, time is running. But while we're waiting for book two, <laughs> would you have a call for action for our listeners who are sitting there thinking, okay, so that's what psychological safety is. And now I've got a book that can help me think about how I could either create those conditions or carry on trying to create those conditions. What would your call to action be, Carolyn, for those people listening? Yeah, first of all, maybe go to our website, uh, the psychologicalsafetyplaybook.com and really explore the resources we offer. We offer, um, for example, a sampler um, chapter. We offer an overview, a glimpse into the book and so on. So you'll find rich material there. And of course, read the book, mm -hmm. one move and just start experimenting. Excellent. Thank you. Minette, what would your call yeah. to action be? I Same. So I'm going to add on. So yes, yeah. and you know, yes, the and. website <laughs> and the book. And then my my further call to action is don't keep this to yourself. Like as you start to do the work and say like, I'm going to try something, talk about it with your colleagues, talk about it with your manager, say, you know, I've just discovered this new resource that's mm. coming out on February 22nd. Can we maybe do a book club? Can we all get the book and talk about what we as a team can do better together? And I think, you know, Colleen and I talk about building a movement. A movement yeah. starts with one or two people Absolutely. who are passionate about something and they start to spread the word and then it grows and grows. And so we really do want people to share this work with everyone they either interact with professionally, their families, their schools, mm. their communities, because we believe that 
This can be transformational, but only if it takes off at scale. And so we want people to really spread the word and share it and buy a book for a friend and pass it on and, you know, send our send our URL for the, the psychological safety playbook.com to everyone you know and say, hey, can we try something here? So yeah, I love and, that. And we are really excited about that. <laughs> we just got our first volume um, purchase, volume order. So a large company here in Germany ordered a hundred books wow. because they want to provide their top mm. leadership team with the book they have um, um, a leadership event beginning of march and that's a great idea that's a great starting point mm. to really get the discussion going and to really put it on the agenda yeah and i love the idea of starting a movement and basically just what i call democratizing access to these type of plays so that you can use them anytime anywhere and I'm also hearing creating, I'm going to use my words, a tribe that shares as to how well those plays have worked and what they've done with them and what they haven't. So I'm going to invite all our leaders, all our listeners, sorry, first of all, to read your book and second of all, to come and find you. So at the psychologicalsafetyplaybook.com, I heard. I'll put these in the show notes so that people can just click on them. And where else can they find out more about you both and what you do? Or is that the main place? Oh, no, we're both on LinkedIn. So okay. we love people to connect with us on LinkedIn. And it's just at Caroline Helbig, at Manette Norman. And then we each have our own websites for our own business. So ManetteNorman.com and CarolineHelbig.com. But, you know, LinkedIn, connect with us, follow us, interact with us. We really, we want, as we said, we want to keep learning from everyone's real world experiences and increasing the knowledge out there. So, yeah, we we really encourage people to get in touch with us. So, so yeah, please. I think LinkedIn is a great, um, great platform. And also we talked about our simmering pot and, yes. and yes, <laughs> we, we have in mind. So we really are open um, to your ideas, your experience. So please go ahead, share with us. And we are really eager to, to throw your ideas into our simmering pot. Yeah. Excellent. So I'll, I'll leave our listeners with the call to action to also throw their ideas, however crazy, <laughs> into your yes, simmering pot. Please. And I think this podcast is an example of how LinkedIn can work very well, as because that's how I contacted both Carolyn and Minette, because I was uh, interested in finding out more about one, your work, two, you, and three, the playbook. So thank you very much for coming and sharing your stories, your insights, and your playbook with us. And it's been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Susie. Thank you, Susie. Thanks, and pleasure. Likewise, and I'm waiting for book two now. <laughs> Let me know when it's ready. <laughs> Working on it. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Susie. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the insights and learning it gave you. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. Mm-hmm.